listening to Finding Your Genius Zone with Dirk Nouvelle. It's not just a job. It's not just a paycheck. Or at least it doesn't have to be. With the help of experts across industries, Dirk helps you find your passion and career, as well as exposing the unknown parts of every vocation. Let's go deep. Let's find your genius zone right now. Here's Dirk Nivelle. Everybody, this is Dirk. Welcome to the show. Um, on with me today is uh, a buddy of mine. I, I say a good buddy, and I, I feel that way. You know, even though I don't get to see Mark that much, uh, he's one of the guys that came into my life back in, I think, my late 20s that made a big impact on me just because he's not only super um, good at what he did, and I worked with him for a little bit, but just a, a cool dude, kind of like the kind of guy you want to go out and have some drinks with, hang out with, great athlete, um, you know, just just a guy that I really look up to. So Mark and I uh, uh, met back uh, when we worked for Mark Cuban at Broadcast.com. We were both in a sales capacity role. Broadcast was acquired by Yahoo, and we were part of that. I ended up leaving Yahoo. Mark stayed on, and he can talk to you a little bit about the pathway. But I'm going to throw it back to Mark and you know have him introduce himself and maybe talk initially a little bit about kind of what you do, what your role is, um, your title, and then we'll go deeper. Cool. Thanks for the... Uh... The intro, Dirk, the uh, the Bitcoins in your wallet. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Mark Walrap here. I, I make my home in Southern California. Currently, I'm a, a principal over the Reddit Deal Lab. Uh, the Deal Lab is a team that uh, is charged with structuring our annual partnership agreements with our highest value partners. And these are companies that are essentially saying, hey, Reddit, we're bought into your platform. We want to work with you over the course of the next year. Here's our budget allocation. What can you offer us in return for a set of uh, strategic and commercial benefits? And so I work with various cross-functional teams internally to package up an offering and then ultimately, uh, these clients, when we come to agreement, uh, sign a term sheet, and we are off to the races. And essentially, what we do is we pivot sort of the relationship from sort of short-term in-quarter thinking to longer-term strategic planning. So would you put yourself in the biz dev category, uh, sales, I mean, or how would you, like, what, what, what function do you provide? Yeah, so there, it's a really good question because there are partnerships do live in business development as well. Generally, those are more like content partnerships or media partnerships. Um, I'm on the monetization side of the business, so strictly advertising partnerships where 95% uh, of our revenue comes from advertising. And so I'm over that part of the business, if you will. So kind of in the sales world of going out and, and getting these relationships, turning them into deals, correct? Correct. I don't own the relationship. We have account teams that own the day-to-day -day relationships with our partners, our advertisers. Uh, but what our team does behind the scenes is make sure that they have a very structured framework for them to pitch and uh, ultimately negotiate with the clients. Yeah, maybe in a little bit, we can go deeper 
I think it's really important for, you know, some of our audience that are, that's coming out of school to really understand the different skill sets and roles that you can provide, like in a sexy technology company, right? I mean, that's, I mean, you've always been in these really cool cutting edge companies, Facebook, Yahoo, broadcast.com. And, you know, there are people that are out there winning the deal and there's people that actually take care of those deals once they're clients. But talk a little bit about, um, just real quick, your, your background, you know, you're a Boston kid. Um, I think you had a interest to, to move out to LA and I think you were in the Hollywood world for a while, like as an agent or something along those lines, just kind of walk us through from A to Z, how you got to where you are today. Yeah. So, you know, I, I graduated college and like, most folks, especially with a liberal education, really didn't know what I wanted to do. So I got in the car with a couple of buddies and moved to California. Didn't really know anyone. Uh, saw uh, the movie with uh, with Tom Cruise and uh, and decided I wanted to, to be a, a talent agent. And so uh, Jerry Maguire was now I'm dating myself, but Jerry Maguire was the movie. And, and so I literally came to California, submitted myself uh, to a talent agency, was fortunate enough to, to, to get into a mailroom, worked my way up through the entertainment business. Ultimately, I was working with uh, actors and actresses on representing uh, their deals um, to the various studios and production companies. And had a mini epiphany in my like mid to late 20s where I was like, do I see myself long term um, being in this industry? And the, the inner voice in my head sort of said no. And so I, I, I made a pivot and I saw the opportunity at broadcast.com. And I'll never forget our former boss, Larry Sanford. Looking at my resume, he's like, you don't have sales experience, but you're submitting yourself to a sales role here. And I said, Larry, I've been selling people for the last five years and their associated projects. So believe me, I, I think I've got the capacity to sell. Let's talk about broadcast. And so needless to say, he took a chance on me and uh, the rest is history. That was one of those defining moments in my career where I made a pivot at an age that I was still sort of not locked into my long-term career and, and had some, some flexibility and, and took the risk. Yeah, so let me ask you, there's two questions that come up. One is, you know, Princeton, is that where you went? I went to that other school, yeah. Oh, uh -oh that's, I'm sorry, I made a mis <laughs> big mistake. I'm sorry. No worries. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I'm uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, those Ivy League schools, you're, 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 you're in a, a demographic where there's a lot of, I don't want to say pressure, but there's a lot of um, people raise the bar a lot. I mean, people are doing big things out of those schools. And so I, my assumption is you were exposed to kind of a, a definition of success of, you know, people doing big stuff. So then you come out to LA, you, the attraction, I guess, being 23, 24, whatever, getting into the Hollywood, the movie business is kind of fun. Do you remember what that voice was? Was it like, I mean, there was something there that made you pivot. What, what was the, the voice? What was it based on? Like, I don't fit in here or I don't know if I can hang in this crowd. What was it? 
Well, there, there are a couple aspects to that question. The, the first is around exiting school and, and going to where a lot of folks would like move right to New York and, and go into the investment banking field with the degree that I had. That's not something that appealed to me because I did a summer internship in finance and just realized that that wasn't the path I wanted to go down. So took the road less traveled, 3,000 miles, show up to Hollywood. And that inner voice um, that you alluded to really takes time. Um, you know, if you're self-aware uh, and you know what you know and you know what you're good at, um, ultimately, the entertainment industry, there were just certain aspects of it that that didn't completely vibe with either my personality or where I saw my future. And the trend at the time was technology. And I saw this like technology trend sort of gaining momentum. And it felt like a much more meritocratic um, wave that I could jump on. And what I mean by that is it just seemed to me like there were aspects of entertainment that were um, non-merit-based. When you go from like one role to the next, I saw it too many times in person. And so recognizing that there were just nuance associated with that industry that I just didn't see myself part of long-term um, and listened to my voice and, and obviously uh, pivoted to, uh, to tech. Cool. No, I just think it's important for people like sometimes when you're coming out of school and you've got all these voices in your head, parents think you want to be a doctor or a lawyer or go to New York and be live on wall street. It's important to pay attention to that voice. And sometimes you don't think, you know, you're young and you just like, I don't know, I'm just going to go make money or whatever. But I think it's great at your age that you had that awareness. Um, just curious. Cause like, I know my exposure, one of my best buddies with New York was having drinks with Mark Cuban. And I was in the business in a company up here he told, told Mark about me. And next thing I knew I was flying to Dallas. How did you hear about broadcasts in LA? That's interesting. Um, at the time, once I made that decision to pivot, I was sort of looking at the, the biggest companies out there that had the most amount of opportunity. And so, especially living in Los Angeles, like, one of my philosophies is to, to to think global, but act local. And in LA, acting local is also working close to where you live for obvious reasons. So there was an opportunity like four or five miles away from where I was living at Yahoo, which was the biggest platform on the internet at the time, besides AOL and a couple others. And so it was to me, it was like, hey, let's think big. If I'm going to go and pivot in the other direction, why not go big? Yeah. Okay, cool. So then you, you're at Yahoo and then Yahoo turned into, was it Facebook? I had a short stint there at, uh, at realtor.com um, and polished up on, on my ad selling skills there. And then um, went over to Yahoo again uh, for a second tour of duty and then uh, joined uh, Facebook now meta in 2008. Cool. So one of the things I, I love about having you on is because, you know, up here in Seattle, you know, we've got a lot of technology, Amazon, Google, Facebook, Microsoft, um, 
people are really attracted to those types of companies. I, I think they move very fast. It's exciting, you know, stock options, people, you know, are um, enamored with maybe making a lot of money. And, but, you know, there's another side to that world that I don't think, you know, that's the goal is to kind of get behind the curtains and um, educate people that are thinking about going down this road. Is there any, you know, you've been in this world for a long time, you've done really well, you know, I think, you know, your job titles have changed, but you are kind of in the same world uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but what is it about, is there anything about the industries that you've been in the companies you've been in that have surprised you? Uh, anything that you might want to shed some light on for somebody that's just like all in, but doesn't really know why, like, you know, even the good and the bad, like things that you're like, oh man, I didn't, this is something that I'm not crazy about that you should be aware of. Is there anything that you can kind of talk about that might um, give somebody a little more clarity about this direction? Yeah, so let's let's zoom out and we'll talk about big tech for, for a minute. Um, clearly there was a halo over Silicon Valley and, a, and big tech for a long time because they were um, enamoring employees with a, a broad basket of benefits. And as you referenced stock options and, and um, you know, I did lots of different roles that appeal to different skill sets. And so for a 10 year period at these companies, there was a, you know, a big opportunity to obviously not only um, identify a career, but also um, an opportunity to, to grow quickly because as these companies grow quickly uh, and you fulfill expectations at your given role, you're able to obviously graduate or matriculate into that next role. And so there's opportunities to get more equity and obviously a higher title each time you matriculate. Uh, and so that was really appealing for a lot of folks. And now I think that the glory days of, of tech might be in the rear view mirror, uh, for lack of a better term. Uh, as you know, a couple hundred thousand folks have been laid off in the last six months from big tech being a little bit bloated from all the over hiring during COVID. So within all of this noise, um, you know, it's been tough for some of these companies to maintain a culture that they've spent so many years building. And so my guidance to somebody, uh, whether they're younger and looking to get into big tech um, or maybe a little bit older um, and getting into big tech is, you know, caveat emptor, like buyer beware. These companies are not the same. They, they're running these companies a lot differently than they did for a long time. And I'm not saying that they're still not great places to work. I'm just saying that there's a lot more to be mindful of as you enter into these companies that uh, are not like things were even just five years ago. Can you just give me a couple examples um, of some things that maybe, I mean, is it is it the uh, income is dipped or is it the... Uh, I don't know, like just trying to think of somebody that has no real world experience in working at all. Yeah. What, what, what has changed? What are a couple of things that have changed? There's now a massive supply of folks that are looking 
and have been at these companies over the last five years. And so with demand, um, with a finite amount of supply, obviously slowing down, you're seeing that many of these companies are being, it's a lot more cutthroat internally. There's a lot more accountabilities, a lot more sort of a Game of Thrones type of, uh, of activities internally, politics, which look, their politics are associated with, with every company at all levels to one degree or another. But it feels to me, what I'm hearing from my friends at these companies, it's it's been heightened, right? More accountability because when the markets and these companies are all, and their stock prices are all up and to the right, and things are really good, you know, you 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 let certain things fall through the cracks, and and there aren't as much accountabilities. But now, since these, there's a reckoning in the industry. Right, you're starting to see a lot of these companies um, really sort of clamp down. They're eliminating layers of, of middle management. Um, they're calibrating across um, different teams and essentially managing out like the bottom 10% of uh, the calibrated employees on a half yearly basis. So the net net is, is if you're in one of these companies, Identify a role that um, obviously you know you're you're going to excel at because it, it is going to be a, a higher level of accountability as you uh, progress. Yeah, I mean, like really, what I'm thinking is like job stability. It's like you know you could be a tradesman, go be a plumber, electrician. I mean, I'm interviewing people in every industry, every type of role, but in big tech, I mean, you know, the sexiness and the attraction to it and the 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 pace. But you also have to deal with the potential of, you know, the economy goes the other way and, you know, you might be out of a job. Um, you've been you've been one of the one of the people that I know that has not been booted out. Um, I mean, you've done really well. I, I've always followed your career from afar. What is it about Mark like that? You know, why are you good at what you do? Like, what's your zone of genius? Why have you been able to kind of I mean, all these companies you've worked with? Uh, you know, are amazing companies and you've done really well in those companies. What is it about you that's kind of allowed you to stay the path? Interesting question. I, I think, you know, one thing is, is I'm pretty self-aware on um, the things I bring to the attributes that I bring to the table. And then obviously recognize uh, some of the the aspects of my, me being a candidate that might be weaker than other folks um, at my level. So I play to my strengths and, and try and work on some of my, uh, my opportunities for growth. I think um, in life, there are givers and takers. And I try to uh, partner with folks internally, especially um, by, give, by being a giver first and then asking for something in return. And I think that's really sort of creates this virtuous cycle um, while everyone's trying to get things done, um, showing people that I'm willing to do the dirty work first before I make an ask internally to partner with them on, on a project that we might be co-authoring. So it's a little bit tactical, but uh, yeah, those are two things just off the top of my head. So just, I mean, I don't mean to ask the same question, but strengths, like, you know, like when you're getting in, thinking about getting into this business, 
I would be curious if you could just touch on, you know, what you think your two of your strengths are. And at the end of the day, you know, someone's listening and they're kind of trying to think, you know, am I like Mark? Do I have the same traits, the same skill sets? Would I do well in this industry? What, what are like your top two strengths that have allowed you to do as well as you have? I'd say being able to succinctly characterize like lots of information in a in short bursts, right? We live in this world of, of infinite information and infinite choice. And um, by definition, if you can crystallize like complicated concepts in simple ways and get to your point and listen more than your um, sort of speaking at people, I think uh, that's that's one thing. I think being analytical is really critical um, at, at this day and age, being a candidate in almost any industry, right? Like we live in a world that's driven by by data and many decisions now are, are data driven by nature. And so having sort of an analytical background as well, and it doesn't have to be engineering, but understanding analytics and how that plays a role um, in your day-to-day -day remit and also within the company's remit. So like on a weekend, are you the kind of guy that reads up on technology because you love it and you want to, or are you just doing it out of security, making sure that you don't drop down? Like, like is this, is this a natural thing for you? Cause like, I'll be honest, when I was in technology, I wasn't really excited about it. And like, I felt myself getting passed up by people who had genuine um, excitement and they're like literally reading wired and they're like, it was their thing. And I was always watching, you know, I was reading sports illustrated or national geographic, but <laughs> I, I didn't have a genuine passion around. I like technology. I like to use sure. it, but I didn't, I wasn't passionate about it. How about you? I'm pretty passionate about it. I listen to podcasts while I'm at the gym to follow emerging trends within the industry. I love staying on top of, of trends and seeing how that's potentially going to impact either my day-to-day -day role or the company that I'm, I'm working with and for. And so some of the sources of information that I turn to are like Stratechery and Ben Thompson and the information. And these are like premium sources um, of content that um, go deeper into the, the plumbing of technology and how it works and why it works the way it does. So I do, I do really enjoy sort of uh, embracing technology as a whole. Uh, and it serves me well um, at work because not only do I, you know, show up every day with my own domain expertise, but then I'm able to add some context for my team into the mix to provide sort of a, you know, an overall perspective on why we might be doing something relative to an industry trend, for instance. Yeah, I mean, I think that's so important because I've seen people in my life, friends like you and, you know, people separate themselves, they differentiate themselves from the pack and some, you know, sometimes it translates, I mean, it translates to success, whether it's money or whatever, a life type of lifestyle. But typically behind that is like genuine passion, genuine interest in what they're doing, you know, versus somebody that's kind of faking it 
or just kind of getting by. But, you know, that's the thing is like, if I, I would love to see more people pay attention to their, what really is inside them and drives them. Cause I, I think when they do it, it allows them to kind of reach levels that others don't. Um, and speaking of that, like getting, you know, in the head of a 24 year old or some, some guy coming out of Princeton, like you did, or not Princeton, I'm sorry, but some coming out of college, like people don't think like that at that age, at least I should say many don't, you know, I think a lot of folks have different voices in their head. <clears throat> They're thinking about careers uh, in terms of money and maybe they're starting a family and they want to buy a nice house on the beach or whatever. But like, what kind of advice maybe would you give to somebody to try to step back, maybe get a little out of the head, into the heart and try to take inventory of kind of who they are and try to like align their career with who they are as a person? Because I, I don't think many young people think like that. And I think if they did, they would end up, it's kind of like dating. I think you would end up with the right person if you chose, you know, sure. who you dated, you know, dating is a lot, you can use dating in every example of life, but what, what kind of advice maybe would you give to somebody that's watching this and they're like, wow, these are all amazing companies and Marcus, I want to be like Mark, but like step back and, and, and get in the head of these kids and is yeah, there something? It's interesting because, you know, 24, 25, that, that's a very impressionable age where you still have the dexterity to, to choose the direction without with limited risk. Right. My father was, uh, you know, uh, helped uh, kids um, for years um, back in Boston, sort of uh, with personal and professional development. And. You know, one of the things that he would do is is chat with them about what they're good at. There were personality tests that that you can take in this day and age to get a real sense for like who you are and what color you fit within the matrix and how does that map to certain roles. Um, at the end of the day, I also think and I encourage younger folks to to call people that um, talk to people, take people out to coffee like myself, if that's a role that they see themselves in. They see themselves being a fireman someday. Go take a fireman out to lunch and pick their brain, and they'll be candid with you about the, the good, the bad, and the, the, the indifferent about their role. And so interview people. Um, and at a certain point, you'll be like, okay, I'm naturally good at this, um, which I know because I'm me. Um, and then I've gathered enough data on what I think I want to be. And the path to a career is very nonlinear in nature, unless you're a specialist, right? If you know you want to be a doctor or an accountant or a certain like specialist type profession where you need continued education, then that's like a very specific path. But if it's more broad and you have more um flexibility um follow your like and it's it's kind of cliche but like talk to people follow your passions do a lot of diligence and um and try if you're still in college obviously try to intern and um yeah i i think at the end of the day it's like when i say nonlinear, i mean like don't get frustrated because you're probably gonna um, get a job somewhere and you could be there for three or six months and be like, wow, I just don't like what I'm doing. And, 
I think a lot of folks will get frustrated at that point and start blaming themselves. And the reality is, is we live in a world that's evolving so quickly. And so if you can't adapt with change over time, you're going to have a tough go. So almost factor into your own personal algorithm that things are going to be bumpy. And it took me until I was like late 20s to identify like the path that ultimately served me well. I love it. I was thinking my wife always gives me shit because I, I when I go to the airport, I always want to leave super early because I'm always factoring in bad traffic or accidents or something. And we're always sitting there two hours before. But I, I think that's really great advice. Um, let's get into a little bit about like you're, you know, I mean, someone can Google and, and, and read about what you do and what your role is, but like the life behind it in terms of things like freedom, you know, your days, uh, do you feel like you can get away? Uh, you know, we could even talk about not what you make, but just the nature of compensation and your type of role. Some of the behind the scenes, uh, critical components of your career that you might be able to enlighten people on a little bit. Well, first thing I would say is, is COVID was a game changer. I used to, like most Americans, have to get up and uh, prepare myself and jump in a car for 45 minutes to an hour each way. And the fact that now there's like the flexibility at most companies for remote work has really served me well. It doesn't serve everybody well. In big cities, I have colleagues that have kids and like, they look forward to um, getting into an office. Um, I think the magic somewhere in the middle where there's like this hybrid two to three days a week in an office, uh, four to five is overkill. Again, like every company is different. But um, so my day to day is really I, I wake up in the morning, I, I check Slack, I respond to emails. I'll then go to my standing desk, which I'm here now. I spend four or five hours on Zoom calls, video conferencing with my team or cross-functional folks. I might take a half hour over lunch for myself. Then um, in the afternoon, I'll take some me time. I'll like concentrate on my wellness. Um, and then... Uh, late at night, I spent a couple hours really doing like the busy work because during the day you're, you're sort of like on the hamster wheel, like just responding to things. You're very like reactive to Slack, to email, to phone calls at night when it's just me, I'm, I'm locked in on like the, the longer form projects that I'm locked into. And then most importantly, my calendar. Your time is probably the most valuable thing, uh, asset um, in, to anybody. And so I really focus on um, being very intentional about my calendar the next day, the next week. And, and once I get that buttoned up, I wake up each morning knowing the next step in my day um, way in advance. So do you plan your, like the day before you, you plan your next day? Oh, yeah. I have the next five to, you know, seven days pretty much planned out. Okay. And did you feel it yourself like getting pulled away on weekends? I mean, 
I know you like what you do, so it's probably doesn't feel like work, but for someone that's considering technology and a sales biz dev type of role, I mean, what, what should they expect? I mean, is it, it's not a nine to five gig, right? They, they actually are now. What I mean by that is there's no expectation in tech to, to work on the weekends. But there's your own personal expectations on how good you want to be at your job. And so when most other people at your company or at your job are not working on the weekends, it's an opportunity for you to, to go the extra mile and work on projects that might be outside of your scope. Um, and an opportunity to differentiate yourself from your peer set. So um, I utilize the weekends to really button up on like the remedial tasks, like expense reports and, um, you know, writing reviews on, on my team members. Uh, but uh, yeah, there's no expectation in, in tech really to, to be on call on the weekends, unless you're responsible for, obviously, uh, you're an engineer and you're making sure that Twitter, Reddit, or, or Meta are staying online. It's, yeah, I get it. So as far as your, your job, your career, like what, like, I know what's important to me. I, you know, I think we talked a little bit about it. Like freedom is a huge thing for me and being able to coach my kids in sports and not get pulled away on holidays or birthdays and going to bed with them, waking up with them. What is the, what are the, you know, the components uh, or factors in your job, your career that are important to you that, you know, that you need out of your job? I think the number one aspect of, of job satisfaction is the, the person that you work for and roll into. Um, people leave managers, they don't leave companies. They generally join a company because they've done diligence on the culture and they've identified a role which they think they can be really good at. In most cases, I have found that people will leave companies because there's, there's some sort of conflict um, with their direct manager. And so that's critical is just like, obviously you can control that in many instances, right? Because you're interviewing with the hiring manager uh, before you get into the company. So that's number one. Number two is culture, right? Like some folks are just not cultural fits. Um, like I, I would say like Elon Musk's companies, right? Like he has such a distinct culture that you either fit into that culture on what he's trying to and how he operates <coughs> or you don't. And yeah. so I think really like um, going to the various um, job boards and researching from current employees, what the current temperature is and culture of the company is, is critical. Cause you don't want to opt in and then be like, well, wait a sec. I don't stand by this company's values. I want to stop real quick because I, I know it varies from A to Z. I mean, not everybody has the same personality, uh, but culture, like fitting in, like if there was a stereotypical person that fit in in your industry or your line of work, and I know you talked about bosses and relationships that, but like what would be a type of personality fit in your industry? Somebody uh, or maybe a personality fit that, that doesn't fit right? That doesn't work. Um, does that make sense? It does. And I would say a couple things. Number one, 
companies that are in the know and building solutions that are meant for global audiences, by definition, have a very specific focus on um, hiring a diverse workforce for obvious reasons. And, and so we like and respect and look for competing personalities because we're building a global product and we're not looking for consensus. We're looking to attack sort of um, what we're doing and presenting to the world from multiple points of view. So diversity is critical. And diversity isn't just like racial or ethnic diversity, it's diversity of opinions. Uh, secondarily, I would say from a personality trait perspective, the ability to um, be fluid and be okay in fast moving environments that are changing, right? A month and a half ago, prior to chat GPT, most people thought like, you know, the next three to five years was pretty baked. ChatGPT represents like an iPhone moment of 14 years ago, where literally the entire industry as we know it will pivot in a new direction. Um, and so there's this like new wave that companies are going to have to embrace if they're going to want to keep up with the pace of change. I don't, you know, that's really an interesting subject. And I, I'm sure we could do a whole podcast on it. <laughs> Can you just tell me how the chat, how, how that is changing things? And I know that's probably, you could turn that into a long conversation, but how has that impacted your industry? Uh, you said four months ago or four years ago? No, it was just a, it was like a month and a half ago where like chat GPT was finally revealed to the public. Yeah. And, and so I'll reference what I was speaking about 15 minutes ago as it relates to we live in a world of infinite information, photos, videos, knowledge. What, what ChatGPT and their models do is allow um, these models to go capture enormous amounts of information and identify pattern recognition and provide very simple outputs through large language processing. And so I can now go in to ChatGPT and <coughs> um, them to provide me a sample cover letter. Uh, and if I'm specific in my inputs, it will literally like comb all the different cover letter sources and provide me a very specific output which is so much different than traditional search where you would essentially just take you to a website link somewhere, which would give you an answer, but then you would have to delve deeper to get your actual output. So this is going to reimagine um, the web and the, the way people experience information moving forward. Yeah. Another example, I mean, just of, you got to be on top of it, right? I mean, I'm in the I'm in the dinosaur business of mortgages and you know we don't move as quick as you guys do but it's a great example like if you if you commit to this industry you're going to have to you're going to have to be on top of the you know cutting edge technology not only understand it but be really you know fluent in it in terms of talking about it um I know that with clients and certain deals you're working on it's all confidential but is there any way you could kind of paint or illustrate a picture of like what's like a typical deal like what you know i for me you know i help people get financed 
you know, I think your roommate does the same kind of work in your world. Like what is like an example of a typical deal that not only what, you know, what you're doing in terms of the value proposition, but maybe how long that might take to, you know, put together. I mean, are these long sales cycles? Can these be quick sales? Like give somebody an idea of, of what they would expect on like what, you know, what's expected of you, like, uh, who you're going after. I don't know if you have a vertical uh, in terms of industry or if you're going after, you know, everybody. I think years ago you were dealing with companies in Vegas in the entertainment world, but can you give us an example of a deal that you're working on or have worked on or is common in your world? Sure. So primarily it's large, larger companies that have already and are already investing in our peer set publishers like Meta, like TikTok, like Twitter, Pinterest, Snapchat. And they're trying to extend their audiences um, beyond those platforms. And Reddit's a fantastic place to do that because we have a naturally curious uh, psychographic of 50 million Americans and X number of uh, non-Americans outside the US that embrace the platform on a daily basis. And so when these companies think about their, the marketing outcomes that they're trying to produce, they see Reddit as, as now like a, a top 10 option. And so what my team does is we take the, the best of what Reddit has to offer and uh, we structure a partnership agreement that goes into a term sheet it's non-binding in nature. And um, ultimately, it just gives us a, a map on how we can work better together over the course of the next 12 months. The companies range from Disney, Toyota, and Samsung to you know smaller, more direct uh, to consumer companies like Huel and um, a myriad of other sort of mid or long tail advertisers that still derive value from our platform. They just do it in different ways. So <clears throat> what do you think? I mean, as far as your career path, I mean, are you, have you reached where you want to be? Um, do you, what are you thinking in terms of like the next five, 10 years? I feel pretty good where I'm at. I, I I've got like a, uh, you know, a, a level of job satisfaction that's very high. The person and the people that I work with, we're, we're all supportive. Our company's going through, uh, you know, uh, an event over the next uh, nine to 12 months, which, you know, after 18 years of being private, we're going to be going public. So there's a, there's a lot of readiness that's happening behind the scenes as it relates to those pursuits. So I'm actually, I, I'm not complacent. I'm just trying to be the best version of myself as Reddit tries to be the best version of ourself. So when we do get to the public markets and there's more scrutiny, we're, uh, we're able to show well. I love it. Um, as we wind this down a little bit, I, you know, I always ask this question. If you could go back in time, uh, knowing what you know now, would you have chosen this route or do you think you would have done something different? Yeah, I have no regrets with going into entertainment, obviously with the benefit of hindsight, like if I got into tech earlier, would that alter where I am now? It's, I think the past is prologue, right? 
at the end of the day, um, I think that uh, understanding that the future is unpredictable by definition. And so being able to adapt, overcome, improvise, and ultimately survive in advance, uh, to use a, you know, a, a March Madness term, is the way to, is the, the bigger picture way to sort of think about your career. It's stay, become an expert. If you know what you want to do, get your 10,000 hours in. And once you're a true expert, stay up to date on the trends. Um, so you can uh, obviously be on, on the cutting edge of where things are going. Okay, so let's take, let's just say technology, um, anything related to is off the table. What would be like your, I'm just curious, what would be a dream job of yours? Like, just to get just to get to know, you know, the, the audience members get to know you a little bit better. Like, what would you love to do? Is there a dream job? Yeah, I'd probably like to be a, uh, a defensive coordinator in uh in college football or i'd probably like to be a caddy on the on the tour <laughs> i think you could play on the tour don't you <laughs> and I, I wish um yeah, yeah I, I love the game of golf as well and so it, it'd be fun to to be out there uh every day uh with the best in the world but uh yeah it's an interesting question i haven't given that a lot of thought Probably. I'm just curious. <laughs> I've, I've golfed with Mark and he's, he's a great golfer. Um, great athlete. Um, anything as we, we finish this up, I mean, think about getting in the head of a, a, of a young, uh, young lady or young man, just like really struggling. Like, is, is there anything else that you feel compelled to like advice wise, give somebody to help them kind of lower the bar a little bit, the pressure and, and ease into this next chapter of their life? Yeah, not to be a uh, not to make a blanket statement, but I, I do think that younger generations are putting so much more urgency on themselves to achieve success quickly and expeditiously. And the reality is, is those who build a career brick by brick over time are the ones that I feel like have the highest probability for success. So there's a fine line between urgency and slow and steady wins the race. And so if you can find like where that is for yourself in your own personal algorithms, I feel like that's a, that's a good foundational way to, to think about your career. Yeah, that's great advice, Mark. Um, thanks again, my friend, for coming aboard. Um, I think this is great information and I know it's going to help a lot of people if they have a chance to watch this. Uh, anything else you might want to say as we uh, end this? Yeah, just um, I think we we tackled a bunch of it. I, I, I do feel like the last thing I'd like to say is like big tech gets most of the headlines, even on Wall Street, right? Like, like they're they're driving markets. And the reality is, is there's still millions and millions of companies out there, both domestically and abroad that are not big tech, that have digitally transformed, especially after COVID, right? Where you had, if you were Walmart, you would now like actually 
have a direct-to-consumer product, and now there's Walmart Grocery. And my point is, is there are so many traditional companies now that have digitally transformed, and those are can, and can be amazing companies to work at. And so I know, like the crux of today's discussion, were around like, you know, technology companies. But the reality is, is there's still lots of opportunities at non-technology companies to identify a career path and, and have a long and, and a healthy, uh, you know, career at. So just some two cents. I'll I'll finish the 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 conversation with. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, thanks again, Mark. I appreciate it. Um, you threw a lot of gold out there and I know people are going to benefit from it. So thank you. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks, man. Good All to right, see bye. you.